Hey, you guys, I want to let you know about Book of the Month, an exciting service that helps readers discover great new books while also promoting the work of emerging authors. Every month, the editorial team at Book of the Month reads through hundreds of new titles. They do the curating for you. They narrow it down to five to seven of the best new books on the market, and you get to choose your Book of the Month. To sign up, just visit bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can get your first book for just $9.99 by using the offer code CHIRP, C-H-I-R-P. I should add that Book of the Month recently launched curated audiobooks in addition to hardcovers, so members have options. You can choose one or the other, either the hardcover edition or the audiobook. And if you pick the audiobook, you can download it and listen to it right there in the Book of the Month app. My latest pick is a novel called Anita DeMonte Laughs Last by Sochil Gonzalez. It tells the story of a forgotten art star of the 1980s who died tragically and whose life and work and memory are later unearthed by an art history student. This is right up my alley. I can't wait to read it. So if you want to sign up for Book of the Month, remember, go to bookofthemonth.com and for a limited time, Get your first book for just $9.99 by using the code CHIRP, C-H-I-R-P. One more time, that's bookofthemonth.com. Use the code CHIRP and get reading. This episode of Other People is brought to you by the UCLA Extension Writers Program, the largest open enrollment creative writing and screenwriting program in the nation. At UCLA Extension, you can take courses in novel writing, short fiction, memoir, personal essay, poetry, playwriting, writing for the youth market, publishing, you name it. And you can also take screenwriting courses, both feature film and television. The various classes are taught by top-level instructors who have actually walked the walk, publishing books and producing films and television shows. The program features almost 500 courses annually, both online and on-site, at beginner, intermediate, and advanced levels, with evening, weekend, and daytime options as well. The program also features certificate programs in feature film, television writing, fiction, and creative nonfiction, manuscript and script consultations, writing competitions, free events, nine-month master classes, mentorships, scholarships, and friendly and knowledgeable advisors. For more information, call 310-825-9415. That's 310-825-9415 or visit them on the web at uclaextension.edu slash writers or check them out on Facebook and the Twitter. This is a writer's program. You can learn to write better. Go and do it. Oh my God. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Gee, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible, you know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. Okay, everybody, here we go again. This is it. This is Other People. This is Somewhat Educational. This is provided free of charge. It's great to have you here. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, hopefully there's not too much background noise. Hopefully there's not... Uh, the sound of screaming children echoing as you listen to me ramble. My neighbors have a swimming pool, and it seems uh, like every afternoon during the summer, the pool is filled with screaming children, and these screaming children can be heard in my office, and I have to find ways to concentrate in spite of the screaming children, and I also have to resist the urge to get angry or feel aggrieved because of the screaming children uh, because these are happy children, and uh, they're screaming with joy, uh, it's not like they're in agony or anything like that, uh, which would be another story entirely. At least I don't think they're in agony. And I should also say uh, that it's not their fault that the pool is located near my office. You know, th these kids are not trying to annoy me explicitly. They're just playing and having fun and doing what kids do in the summertime. So it's a test of patience, and uh, it kind of messes with my head a little bit uh, because I don't want to be the old guy who yells at children you know, or somehow seeks to punish them simply for enjoying the carefree nature of their youthful existence. Uh, you know, I don't want to be cranky. I don't want to be that guy. Uh, but I do need to get work done, and I don't want to be driven crazy by noise. So uh, from time to time, I must admit, I, I will get up during the course of a day, and I will shut my window when the children are screaming. 
And uh, sometimes when I do this, I do it with, uh, you know, what in retrospect is probably a little bit too much force. And I, I guess uh, I'm trying to send some sort of message non-verbally, you know, with the, with the slamming of the window. Because I've never actually said anything to these kids. I've never actually asked them to be quiet because that's not in my nature. Uh, you know, I've never called out or, or, or made some sort of formal request. Plus, I remember when I was a kid uh, and adults would ask my friends and I to quiet down, uh, we always thought those people were assholes. And I think for the most part we were right. You know, kids uh, kids should be allowed to, to scream in a swimming pool in the summertime. It's America. It's part of growing up. And uh, childhood obviously goes by very quickly. And intellectually, I know this. Uh, but there remains some residual frustration from time to time as I try to concentrate or write something or do a podcast or whatever it is. So uh, that's where I'm at right now. I'm trying to maintain uh, my equilibrium, I guess you could say. I'm trying to... Uh, breathe through the situation. I'm asking myself, uh, is it necessary to slam the window? Can't you just accept the noise? Can't you just uh, accept that conditions are not going to be ideal 100% of the time and probably not even 50% of the time? And can't you see uh, the irony of the situation? Uh, you know, that, that to respond to the sound of screaming children by throwing a tantrum is ironic and so on. So that's my current quagmire. Sorry to bore you with it. I'm just trying to describe my whereabouts, and obviously it could be worse. My guest today is Elizabeth Crane. She is the author of three story collections. Uh, they are titled When the Messenger is Hot, All This Heavenly Glory, and You Must Be This Happy to Enter. And now she has just published her debut novel uh, to great excitement and critical acclaim. The book is called We Only Know So Much, and it is available right now from Harper Perennial, which is a terrific imprint. Uh, I like the title of the book. I like that the title functions uh, as a statement of fact, uh, sort of like you can't take it with you or uh, the sun also rises, stuff like that. They're titles you can't argue with. So uh, this is how it goes with uh, Elizabeth's debut novel. It's called We Only Know So Much, and I'm now going to talk with Elizabeth, and you are hopefully going to listen to me talking with Elizabeth. Like broadcasting, essentially, like radio and TV. Communications. Communications. Uh -huh. But uh, on the piece of paper, it says radio and TV. Oh, okay. Which is not terribly impressive, I don't think. But um, yeah, it, I, I it, have a film studies degree, undergrad. So. That sounds slightly more impressive. A little bit. If you um, capitalize it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, so I, I, you know, I don't know what I thought I was going to do with that. It was basically just like I had to pick a major. It was the middle of my sophomore year or something. And I, were, were you, were you, I mean, I don't want to use the word directionless, but like when you were in undergrad. <laughs> no. That's a fine word, actually. Because <laughs> no, I feel like this, word. I feel like this with some degree of uh, remorse that when I was an undergraduate, I had no idea what I was doing. And I had like, like, I feel like some people I know, they really had a sense of their professional life when they were like 19 years old. And when I was 19 years old, I barely knew anything. No, no I, I thought I knew a lot of things and I certainly knew that I wanted to write, but I was really clueless about how to go about that. And I was also like not particularly encouraged to do anything along those lines. We were talking about that this morning and but by, so, by whom? Your parents? By my parents. Yeah. Well, by my mother specifically. Yeah. Just go down that road if you yeah, want to. Let's just start with mom. <laughs> um, my dad was extremely encouraging, in fact, about writing, but he wasn't around. You know, he was, they were, they were split up, blah, blah, blah. And I lived with my crazy mom and she was an opera singer and she was an artist who didn't encourage me to do anything that I was particularly interested in. So. Really? Yeah. So I did, you know, it was fear. It was just fear. She had, she had a career. She didn't make a lot of money doing it. It was very stressful for her, and she didn't want that for me. Okay, so I could I could sort of see, like now having gone through all that I've gone through and what everyone goes through as a writer, like I could sort of see looking at my daughter if she came to me and said, like, I want to be a poet or I want to write right. fiction. I could be like, listen, listen. You know, well, like, right. But what? how do you, I mean, but then on the other side of it, of course, is like probably what would prevail, which is if this is what makes you happy. That's then, the thing. That's yeah. the thing. I think it almost always does, you know, and um, or else you, you know, you get very, very severely depressed, which I certainly, I don't know, like very, very severely, but I was unhappy for a long, long time until I finally. <gasps> because you weren't doing that? Got around to doing that. Yeah. Did you just hear a beep? 
Yeah. Yeah, there was a beep. Okay. <laughs> I thought it sounded like my iPad, and I was like, my iPad is nowhere near here. Yeah, let me, actually, I'll, I'll do something over here. Let me see if I can get rid of that. I just was afraid it was me. No, you didn't do anything. You didn't do anything. So uh, when, you, when you say that you were depressed before you got into writing, um, what were you doing in that period of time? Were you working well, some sort of job that you hated? I will try to give you the short list of oh. jobs that I had that okay. I didn't love. Yeah. Um, I waited tables. For four years. That was actually one of the better jobs that I had. Um, that was almost... Well, okay, I worked out of college. Let's see. I worked for a modeling agency for a few months. Then I worked for a children's talent agency. Then I saw how much money the kids were all making, and I was like, well, I could make that much money doing commercials after school, you know? So I tried to do that for... People who... Are you talking about, minutes. like, national spots? Yeah. The people who do that, the actors who act in national commercials make a lot of money. Yeah, these kids after school were making like a hundred grand. Like, right. You remember that? You, you remember that? Like uh, Maxwell or whatever famous commercial? They still show it. Like twenty five years old, a little blonde girl, and the brother comes home from the army or something. Yeah. That girl was with our agency, and she made hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like, Just be, if you get in the, that commercial, right? If you get an ad that's actually like a hit, yeah. Like the guy who does uh, "Can You Hear Me Now?" Like it's like he's a recurring character, right? So right. he's making a ton of money. Like I right. have friends in Los Angeles who, you know, are commercial actors. They book two national spots a year yeah. and they're done. They yeah, work I got two nothing. Days a year. nothing. I did nothing. Like my <laughs> career was like really kind of comical what I did and like, you know, the year that I sort of tried to do it. How, it must be competitive. Or how it's does it work? It's competitive and it's, it was very, I always felt sort of like, I mean, you know, it's New York. It's not Hollywood, but, you know, it's it's a lot of the same stuff. It's all, so much about how you look and how you don't look and how you should look and um and you know i wasn't particularly talented as an actress <laughs> and i wasn't willing there were a lot of things i wasn't willing to do you know and so i was it was just wasn't what i wanted to do you know right. i just thought no it was going to be easy right and uh so i didn't do that so i waited then i waited tables for about 4 years then i kind of got burnt out on that and can I stop? Like when you talked about this uh, commercial acting situation, like did you uh, – was your idea to go do that and subsidize a writing life with it? Were you already thinking along those lines? I was always writing. That's the thing. It's like since I was a kid, I was always writing. Okay. And my thing with writing was that – was partly that I wasn't you know, encouraged and partly just that I knew I wasn't where I wanted to be with it yet. You know, and I had, I just kind of had a sense that I would be at some point. It was partly, I also kind of knew like I hadn't had the life experience. And I know there's like, there are wonderkins out there. I knew I wasn't that person. Um, and that sort of when I gained, like when I finally learned something, you know, <laughs> that, that, that my writing would come to life. And that really was true for me. It was, so can you point to like a moment or a, I mean, what was the phase of your life? Was it this phase of your life where you struggled? That was Well, it was after that. It was like in my early thirties that, you know, I had like, uh, you know, the last of these series of jobs was sort of like the video store. Well, then I did work for a talent agency for four years after that. That was sort of part of it too. Okay. Um, but and there were and there were more after that. But at that point, I was sort of starting to get more serious about writing, and um, and then you know basically it culminated. I mean, this is like it sounds so kind of lifetime TV movie. But my mother got sick with cancer, and um, by the time she died, I was just like, life is short. I got to get on this. You right. Know? And I also felt like um, that kind of brought a depth to my human experience. You know, that loss really changed me. Sure. Um, in spite of the fact that she was crazy and, you know, I loved her. Right. Right. So, right. I love um, that crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so th that, that's definitely, that was definitely, that was sure. the turning point. Yeah. And like, it is like, you know, I say this all the time and it's easy to say, but maybe hard to like realize, but it really is, it does go fast. You know, there needs to be more immediacy in you life. I don't want to say how old I am now, but it goes, that was 15 years ago. So I'll just let your listeners do the math. Like yeah. it goes really fast. Yeah. Right. I, and, I, and the crazy thing is I feel like I just started this writing thing too, mm. but in fact, it's been 10 years. So do you feel like the way that you kind of came into a serious approach to writing, you know, the difficult life experiences that you went through and the epiphanies or whatever that you might've experienced as a result when you go to the, when you approach the work now, do you have less of the typical writerly neuroses that sometimes trip people up? Do you know what I'm saying? Has some yeah. of the bullshit fallen away because of that, and you, yeah. you're able to just get to work. I think so. I think so. I, you know, I, 
I mean, I'm not I'm not super angsty when it comes to the actual writing. Um, you know, I have a pretty good sense of what works and what doesn't work. Um, and if it doesn't, I don't tend to struggle too much. I, get, I my angst comes when I'm not particularly inspired or not working, which is, doesn't happen often. But then, I like a month goes by or something, I haven't written anything. I'm really crazy about that. I'm like, oh. yeah, that's it's just no fun. I really like to write. Um, but I, I don't worry. I don't, I turn it, I still, and this may be because I started my career kind of later, but I still sort of, I forget that I even have a potential audience or an actual audience. I, I forget that anybody's ever going to read it. Well, I was just and that takes say, the pressure off me a lot. You're able to do that. Cause it's yeah. like, like if you say, you know, what works, you just basically, I don't know, I guess, you know, inherently that it's going to work. You're not thinking of it's going to work on a commercial level or it's no, gonna... no. If I crack myself up or if I make myself sad, then I usually that's a clue that somebody else will probably, or if you're right. bored or by, you know, conversely, if same. you're bored, same thing. Same. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've trashed, you know, I, I spent, um, a, about a year drafting up a memoir and didn't work. Didn't. I knew I knew it didn't work. You know, I might go back to it someday. How many? How ma- like how many words did you? Four hundred pages. Oh shit! Okay, so memoir. <laughs> it's more of a biography. <laughs> <laughs> of yeah. uh, your mother? No, my myself. Oh, yourself. My okay. fascinating life. Right, right, right. Yeah. There's footnotes. Well, like I just didn't know what to. You know, this is and this is where the craft of memoir writing comes in. That I don't feel like I have the. You know, I think it's something that I could probably learn, but. Um, shaping the parts of that into a story as you would with a novel or another type of, uh, with fiction. Um, I just, I just wanted to like throw it all down and then see what I got. And, you know, and that's as far as I got. Yeah. But you know, did you feel like you lived through, I mean, sometimes when I read these memoirs or most of the time when I read a memoir that really gets me, I'm just like, Christ, the life that this person has led. Oh, all the time. I mean, and that's what made me want to write one, you know, and I look at like, um, Patty Smith's book, you know, just like, I mean, I think what I want maybe even more than to write a is memoir to is one. to have had that life. Yeah. <laughs> right, Cause right. I was there in New York at the same time. I was a little kid, you know, and it's just like, it was interesting reading that book, like sort of thinking about like the, you know, like there, there's her life downtown and here's my life uptown. And so you were so raised different. in New York. Yeah. Oh, you were okay. Side, yeah. Born and raised. I was born upstate New York, uh-huh. and then we lived in Louisiana for a few years, and then when my parents split up, we moved. I started first grade in New York. Where's Louisiana? Where in Louisiana? Baton Rouge. Okay, that's where my parents are from. Really? My mother's from Plaquemine, and, and then my dad is from Morgan City, which is like yeah. a small little town. I, I mean, I don't have very many memories of it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I had a southern accent when I started first grade. Did you? Really? Yeah, I lost it right away. I did not fly in public school uh, yeah. very much at all. So what was it like to grow up in New York City? Um... There's okay, so there's a there's a New Yorker cartoon that I had on my wall for a really long time that totally summed up my feelings about New York. Just the guys walking down the street, and you know the "I Heart New York" um, T-shirt. His had the same lettering, but his had "I have mixed feelings about New York," <laughs> um, which I say as I am preparing to move back there, actually. But um, oh. it, yeah, it was it was uh, you know it was the '60s and '70s, so it was very kind of like Death Wish you know, um, era, uh, so yeah, how much son has, of Sam, how much has changed? In New- <laughs> honestly, it's, I, I feel like we're moving back to a different place. Honestly, I feel like we're, we're moving, almost moving back to a different place. Cause it was a much more dangerous city. It was, it was totally dangerous. Yeah. 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 I mean, we lived on West end Avenue. It was pretty nice and it was kind of arty, you know, there were a lot of arty people, but, um, just like a block. Oh, actually where my public school, my public school was like, there were some tough kids. Sure. There was some super arty kids and then some tough kids too. And there was like Charlie Chopoff was like, I think apparently a real thing, although it seemed like a myth, but there was like a guy going around like chopping little boys' dicks off. And, oh, well. And there was a little girl who was like the, the younger sister of someone that was a, a classmate of mine who was like m- murdered and kidnapped and thrown, like found in a garbage can by their babysitter. Jesus you Christ. Know? Not found by the babysitter, but killed by the babysitter. Yeah. It was like big, you know, front page of the post kind of back in the day. If I could remember her name, I've been trying to Google her and I just can't. But, um, yeah, some bad, bad 
did you were you worried did you I mean did this stuff did this like stuff I, find its way it into was, your brain or it were was you so weird i never was worried like i just kind of like i i did that city kid thing of just like learning to see all around me i was like hyper vigilant i i think i was probably naturally a very observant kid anyway um but I just kind of kept my eyes open and I just kind of like got a little posture, you know, a little like waspy looking girl. Like, <laughs> I'll go to school. Don't mess with me. Um, and I was fine. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, in some, in some ways it's seemed... careful. Yeah. I mean, as long as you're, you exercise some caution and you don't like, you know, go down a dark alley by yourself, it seems like in a city. No, things, I mean, you learn things, right? Like I didn't, you know, at the time I didn't start taking the, I walked around by myself, but I didn't like take the subway by myself or things like that go out late at night yeah, well, always but, take a cab at, at night when it's dark you know things like that okay so like what i was going to say when you're when you're a kid in new york city and you're growing up like at what age can you start taking the subway what, well there's a that? lot of different like it's interesting to think about i mean when i was a kid i think i was probably 10 when i started the bus and subway by myself and i think that some kids do that now but then there was that lady that they made such a fuss about like a couple years ago who let her son take the bus or the subway by himself and there was an article written about it and everybody was freaked out but like that was in the in when the crime was worse when i was a kid right that was totally like we all did that right so i don't i don't i think it's fine my my best friend she might kill me for saying this but she um the first time her son walked to school by himself she, he was a little bit older than that and she followed him well sure yeah <laughs> course <laughs> she called me she's like he went off the route he went into a friend's <laughs> building what, what do i do i can't i was like well you can't tell him yeah you can't tell him because you told him you trusted him right so you've got to hide behind if you, you cr- to rem- remain in your crouch <laughs> behind this cab <laughs> yeah so now did you and you and it was just you and your mother in on the upper west yeah, side yeah she she was single for a few years and then she remarried when i was like 10 Okay, so did you have? I mean, uh, was it an artsy household? Was it? I mean, did you have more autonomy than the average child? I think so. Yeah, okay. yeah. It was very much like she traveled a lot. She, you know, my stepfather was an artist, uh, an agent for musicians, opera singers, and conductors. A lot of conductors, um, classical, and uh, so she traveled a lot. And by the time I was like fourteen, fifteen, I was staying home a lot by myself. Um, but also, she was, you know, so much of I think the way she raised me was like in response to the way she was raised and didn't like so she gave me a lot of latitude and and she trusted me and that was you know i was a trustworthy kid so it was there it was it was good but i i mean i was alone a lot you know and but i mean it's just to me because i'm from i was raised in indiana and wisconsin so when i think of growing up in manhattan and i think of being a teenager and just walking out your door and having new york city yeah well here's the thing here's the thing like I, you know, and I, because I, we came from Louisiana, right? So the initial shock of moving there was like, I mean, I, I was told that I cried for weeks and then I stopped and I made friends and whatever. But I, I never, for the entire 30 years that I lived in New York, I never kind of got over that kind of sense of wonder of like, I'm in New York. <laughs> what like, am I what doing am here? What am I doing here? And <laughs> right. I did kind of want to leave and I did eventually leave. But I, it was, it, you know, it's a hard place to leave too. From, you know, even if you have mixed feelings about it, it's it's New York. It's there's culture. You're not supposed to want to leave there, and you know, um, and I did. I loved having all that culture, and I loved walking, and I didn't drive, and you know, I didn't want to leave my friends and whatever. But I mean, I, I was just constantly struggling to pay the rent and all that kind of stuff. But I did. But I like that feeling of like that sort of surreal feeling never left me. And it was something I used to talk to my friends, my New York friends, about that. And most of them did not have that feeling. Really? So I think it was just me. Just because you think, because you'd had this Louisiana experience? I think so, yeah. Or maybe like, and how old were you when you moved there? First Six. grade? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I started first grade. And, and it affected you that deeply? It did, yeah. Well, that's it interesting. Did. I feel like, because I'm always thinking about that. Like, if we ever had to move, like, what's the threshold for affecting a child deeply with a move? <laughs> Well, now you know. Well, yeah. Now you know. So six, I think it ruined. depends what kind of pl- if you, you know it depends on like L A to Chicago might not be quite as shocking because you could live in a house there and you know you would have some nature and whatever yeah. potentially. Yeah. But New York City, a little different. A little different. Yeah, a little different. Um, okay, so where did you go to college? I went to George Washington University in D C. Okay, so just you you left the city to go to school. 
And yes, that, and that, but I went to another city because I didn't think I could do well. And, like, I got into, like, University of Vermont, and I thought, like, oh, there's a bunch of preppies up there. I can't deal with that. <laughs> well, and was there, I mean, is there, I mean, it's got to be kind of like if you live in a small town, this, the idea of living in New York seems unmanageable. And when you live in New York yeah. City, the idea of all of a sudden living in, like, Burlington. Yeah, like, I just wasn't ready. And I, I really did have that New Yorker's view of the world at the time. You know, I just thought, like... In fact, like when I finally did, like before I left New York, I was sort of like, I would sooner move across the country than move to Brooklyn. You know, (laughs) now we're probably going to move to Brooklyn. Sure, yeah. um, Happily, but I just I had that sort of like really. Are there any people who read books outside of Manhattan? Are there any people who like like are smart? And you know, my my father lived in Iowa City for most of his life after that he was a college professor he was very very smart person so right i should include that in but so what did he teach musicology oh so both your parents are musical people that's how they meant and you turned out to be a literary person yes well i had i sort of had the stage fright i sang opera as a kid did you so you can sing i can sing you you can yeah you're not going to sing anything i am not (laughs) no no um (laughs) So, but I mean, did you feel pressure to be musical or was it something? A little, a little. I mean, you know, kids of a lot of, it's sort of a typical thing that um, children of opera singers will sing in the children's chorus because usually they can sing. Right. Um, So a lot of, a lot of us at New York City Opera, like our parents were in the, in the companies there. But, um, and it was, I didn't want to sing opera. Uh, I wanted to either be a Broadway star, you know, that from like 10 to 14. Right. You know, that was what I wanted to do. Right, right, right. And then right. later maybe a rock star of some kind. Sure. But I didn't write music and I had kind of like stage fright. I was, you know, so I just didn't. And again, it was like my mom was like, don't be a singer. So She said that to you. She did. Oh, Explicitly. Yeah. And my stepfather did too, yeah. Just because they knew how hard it was. Yeah. And how much like there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of rejection in the arts period. But yeah, I guess there there's, there's a lot there as well. They would say that it was worse, and they would—they were always yelling about the politics of it or something, which I didn't totally understand. But um, and I think it was very particular to the classical business. Well, it's know? that, and then you know, if you're a performer of some sort, like a stage performer or a movie actor or a television actor, I've always said this: like you have to get permission to do what you do. As a, as a, right. at least as a writer, you can just go write. I mean, you, no one no that's one may right. publish it, but that's at least you right. can do it. And that's and that was kind of my experience. You know, I thought like. I have the satisfaction of doing this and I have a feeling that someday I'll be able to make this happen, you know, um, but it took a lot of kind of reprogramming and, you know, just the sort of the impetus of like realizing that life was short. I was like, I really got on the ball and I commit, I like took time. It's like taking this year off. I'm going to finish the book, get an agent and, you know, try to do it. And actualize this. Yeah. But you, you know, it seems like you had kind of a quiet confidence that you could do it. If I did, I did, yeah, you did, yeah. From did. from when, from the beginning, or like when did it dawn on you that like you had the, the gift? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I I think I I always knew that I had a sort of a style and a voice, but again, getting, I just didn't feel like I had the content really, you know. Um, were you were you extremely well read as a child? No, no, no. I read I read a bunch as a kid, but that's that's part of it too. I uh, I I didn't start. I read trashy books for years, um, and I. It, it well, what do you mean by trashy? Like romance like novels? Jackie Collins, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. Um, and then you know, occasionally, like every every year, somebody would give me a good book, but I didn't. I I had no, I was just like so behind on everything, and I just had no idea how to get my hands on things that would really excite me as a reader. And then once you know somebody hand me, when when I was finally handed David Foster Wallace, then I started to get like that. And that made my brain explode. But then I started to which I, book. Um, the Brew in the System. Okay, wow. So yeah, that, like that early. First, it was right after it came out, actually. Okay. So I think you'd like this. And and so it was only then that I started to sort of slowly figure out, oh, I can look at Harper's Magazine and they they mentioned books or New Yorker or whatever. Um, but it, but and so when I finally started reading those things and reading more short stories, it was then that like that sort of seeped in and I became a better writer too. That helped a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And so when did you start working at it? As opposed to sort of having an inkling. Well, you know, I sort of, I was working on a novel, the the typical novel that doesn't get published um, in, like, mid-90s. Okay. The and then I shifted over to short stories. So where were you in your life, though? Like, like... Um, at that time, 
then the, 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 the continuing the the, the career trajectory <laughs> right like early 90s i was working for this i worked for a talent agency for four years as an agent or just as a just as an assistant yeah yeah and uh and then i worked then i was gonna maybe go to get an education degree i wasn't really sure because i wanted something more stable i wanted to teach i started teaching kids in the movies um did that for a couple of years wasn't didn't get work steadily but you know it was it was fun teaching um, kids in the movies like like the culkins you taught the culkins i did I you did. did not mac but i had the other kids like you were their tutor i was yeah you were their governess <laughs> in a way i mean when you're hired as the tutor you are also their guardian yeah so i mean and we're talking like every subject Yes. Yeah, you work with the school that uh-huh. they go to, and then you sort of you use their curriculum. So, but that's a big responsibility. It's pretty big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was fun. It was nice fun. kids. They were. They were really nice kids. Yeah, yeah. They seemed pretty sharp. I mean, you they know. were very smart kids. Yeah, they yeah. they had some. You know, their dad was. They had some issues with their dad, but um, but they were. I felt bad for them. I mean, they're you know they were really kind of fun kids to be around. So when you you get a client like that. Like that's that was it. That was the job. Was well, you can't do multiple families. You right? can, but that I. But they were the ones that I worked for the most. I actually also taught Scarlett Johansson in a movie. Did you just for like a week? Yeah, oh, she was wow. ten. No way. I did. And you knew right then she was going to blossom <laughs> into a star. <laughs> I didn't know what was going to happen, but she. Looking back, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 She she had a big personality even then. Really, like yeah. a like a snotty little kid, or no? What? She wasn't snotty. She was just like she like before the job. She like. Her mom called. She's like, my daughter wants to talk to you. And she got on the phone. And this girl, I should have really hung up, but she chewed my ear off for an hour. And she did most of the talking. Ten. Whoa. She was ten. Whoa. Yeah. About what? Like, were complaining or was no, it? No, I think she's talking. I live on, like, Staten, not Staten Island, but, like, uh, what's the one where the, the other island where the tram goes to? Long? Roosevelt. Roosevelt Island. Oh, okay. Um and I have a brother and blah, 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 blah. And I'm interested in this subject and that subject and blah. She would ask me some questions periodically, but mostly about her. Wow. Interesting. That's kind of an interesting <laughs> little side note, like side career. So I've, I've had many, many careers. No, yeah. but those are good. Those probably have all informed your work in some way, I'd they, say. I don't, you know, it's funny. I don't think I've ever really written that much about any of that. I could. I guess I could. But, um, but I was writing during that time. And then it didn't work enough to, like, really make a... A good enough living. You have to do. Uh, oh, I thought you. Were, I thought you were going to say you weren't working enough on the writing to make like real no, progress on, on that, a book. On that. Um, but I mean, just to like make, I guess, like a related point. Like uh, you do in order to get a book done, and I'll pose it as a question because you could be different than I am. But in order to get a you know really substantial progress made on uh, like one of your early collections or whatever, like did you finally? get to a point where you're like, okay, this isn't going to happen unless I make some sort of like serious regimen. Or are you able to write in short bursts like two or three times a week and get books done that way? No, it's, it, I mean, I I don't find discipline to be a hard thing. I know that people struggle with this too, but I really, like I said, I really like to write. So having a regimen, I mean, I did, I did sort of set that. I was like, okay, mornings is my, I'm working in the morning, you know? So usually be a couple hours in the morning. Um, when I was working full time, like I, after that I taught preschool for a while. Um, and that was a 40 hour a week job. So I really had to carve out the time during that period. Cause I, and when were you doing it then? Um, I would get up at like six, write for half an hour, go to work at seven thirty, come home at three thirty, crash, and then like write for another hour or something in the evening, maybe a half hour if it was if I was too tired. Just short tired. bursts. Yeah, short bursts. And it took a lot. It took like five years because it was not as I just didn't have as much time. But you were disciplined about those like small chunks yeah, of time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. And so when you say you like writing, and you know, because uh, I have such a weird relationship with it. <laughs> But I mean, well, I think you're not alone. No, yes. yeah, yeah. So I mean, but, but I like to know this about people. Be like, is it truly enjoyable, or is it something that like is intermittently enjoyable? No, it's it's if it's going well, yeah, it's really enjoyable because I'm like, oh, this is really good. This is really funny. Like, uh, you know, I yeah, it really is. I just I don't. I would get- not. I for me, and I I know people differ with this, but if if I didn't enjoy it, I absolutely would not do it. Right. I would just do something else. Those are the things I'm interested in. Yeah. And so what about like the, when you say these stretches where things are going well, like 
quantify that a little bit for me? Like, how long of a stretch are we talking? Is it like, is it enough? Let me give you like a a comparison that might uh, illustrate this better. Like for me, uh, and I'm not a golfer, but I have played golf. I've swung a golf club before. (laughs) But like when you play golf, it's an extremely difficult sport. Yeah. And basically, you're fucking up the entire time, (laughs) except for like once or twice during the during the game or whatever. You'll hit you'll hit the ball beautifully. You'll crush it. And it's like the best feeling ever. And the ball, right. like, you know, and so that's right. That's kind of how it yeah. is for me. And then like, yeah. that's what makes you want to play again. Yes. You're like, you failed yeah. 95% of the time, but that 5% was so enjoyable that you're home. Well, that makes, I mean, that makes sense. And, and maybe like, maybe my percentage of like hitting the ball, like, or feeling yeah. like I'm hitting you're the like, ball. Maybe is... I'm a better golfer than you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I think you're it's playing all about, putt-putt. It's and, like, uh, that's your perception of it though. Right, you know right. what I mean? But like, I think, so I would maybe say that like, let's say 40% of, of that is like, you know, because I don't think every sentence that I write is just like gold, no, you know, yeah, yeah. but some of those, like when I like write enough of those sentences that get to the sentence, that's gold. Then I'm like, yes. Yeah. It feels good. And the other thing too, is like, uh, the other question I think people ask a lot of times is like, is writing lonely? Like I've gotten that one because like, it's just you sitting there. Yeah. I think people who work in like social environments yeah. have a hard time, like, yeah. you know, and I always say, it's only lonely when your characters aren't talking to you. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but you know, but it sounds kind of similar yeah. to what you're talking yeah. about. Like when things are going well and like you're able, you're there in it and it's yeah. working. Yeah. Then it's not. I think too. You know, I was an only child. My mother was away all the time. I'm so I've, I was I'm so self sufficient from an early age. Yeah. It's not that I don't get loneliness, you know, but. Um, I, I I like being alone. Yeah. I don't mind it. No, no, I can do it too. I think I can do. I'm a little of both. I mean, I think yeah. I, I think I do need to get out and mix with people more. <laughs> well, you just bring them to your house. Yeah, right. It's a <laughs> you good got thing. that all worked out. Yeah, that, no. See, that would work well for me too. It's nice, you know, and I do a lot. Of, I mean, I obviously do a lot of these uh, via the phone, but it is nice. A nice perquisite of this podcast <laughs> is that I get to actually meet people. It's true. You know? It's true. Um, okay, so uh, let's get to the point where you actually start to work on your first book. And that was after your mother had passed away. Like that was kind of like the the I springboard. Was working on that first novel that didn't sell while she was alive. Okay. Yeah. And, and the first novel that didn't sell, like uh, instructive experience, like super frustrating heartbreak or what? You know, at at the end of it, it wasn't. And the reason is because I shifted gears. Uh, after I got a, like a dozen rejections or whatever, I had been writing these stories while we were shipping that book around, shopping, <laughs> shopping, and around. shipping it, shopping it, <laughs> all of the above. Um, and so I had started writing these stories, and I knew the stories were better than that book. And so I was like, I said to my agent, I was like, I'm going to see if like which ones of these I can make work as a collection, and what do you think about that? She's like, great. She liked my stories, you know, and uh, and those that collection sold very quickly. You Which know, is odd. Relatively speaking, really odd, right? Yeah. But it kind of was a lesson to me, you know, that I was right. <laughs> so Right. Um, Trust your judgment. Yeah. Or your intuition. Yeah. So it, you know, it wasn't, I didn't sit down to write a collection of stories, but. Um, did they, did they happened. come, did they, uh, were they produced more easily than the novel? I think so. Do yeah. you think there's some yeah. correlation between yes. how much struggle you're having and how good the work is? Or do you think it's different for different people? I, I'm sure it's different for different people, and I, I, you know, I don't know if I struggled so much on the first book, but I did, I did tons and tons of revision on it. We'd get feedback. I mean, I did a lot of revision before I even sent it to the agent, which got me, you know, got me the agent. So that right there was a that it was a win. Right. Um, but I, after, even after, so I worked on it a lot before I sent it to her. I made a lot of revisions based on comments I got from friends, and then. We made more changes after I got comments from editors, too, because they liked the writing, you know, and just kind of, like, didn't add up to them. And it makes sense Yeah. Um, looking back on it. But there was something more about the form of stories, I think, that sort of inherently um, came very naturally to me once what, I started writing stories. Was it because you were reading more of them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. You were I just... mean, I, I started to because I was like, oh, I really like reading short stories. So yeah. I don't always read novels, but I never read that many short stories. And Wallace was big. Who else was big for you? Um, On the short story side, especially. Yeah, Rick Moody. I was, you know, I really loved Laurie Moore, Lydia Davis. Um, 
you know, just voices that I hadn't come across in high school. And, you know, we got, we were assigned to read good, you know, the typical kind of good things in high school, but, you know, I, just, I wasn't into Hemingway or, you know, or Jane Austen. I was not into. I can, and, I've no never friends been of mine able, into. I could have never been able to get into Jane Austen. It just, yeah, I, I just couldn't find myself in it, you know, at all. And even, I mean, I, 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 now, of course, I'm happy to read anything that's, um, you know, I don't care if it relates to me, but I, I, I'm in, I like writing that's like really kind of, uh, it tends to be like voice driven or, you know, um, interesting or offbeat or something. Right. So what is it about? I mean, can you put a, a finger on what it is? I mean, other than just saying that they're very voice-driven writers or these are very voice-driven books that you were attracted to, like, what is it about the Laurie Moore or the David Foster Wallace or the Rick Moody that... Well, there, you know, I mean, Laurie Moore is maybe a little bit different, but I really liked her sort of humor and, yeah, yeah, you know... Yeah. Um, and wordplay. Yeah, wordplay, Like yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think... Well, I'll tell you what it was about Wallace. I mean, Wallace, like was the first writer that sort of made me realize that I could write the way that I actually write, um, which is not the way that he writes, but I was trying to be sort of like careful and write like sort of like nice, um, not like Jane Austen, but like, you know, just uh, proper proper. Yeah. And I, and I had been writing, I, I've told the story a million times, but I, I used to write letters all the time and, and I would, I would write rough drafts of my letters people and um people would say oh you should write and I was like well I do write but my <laughs> writing is really not like this and I just didn't know that it could be right you know um and so Wallace and and Moody and people like that were were the ones who got me to see like oh I, I actually could bring that into my fiction you know and well, that was a huge revelation to me yeah I mean, like the it, digressions I was like that's what I do that's what I do oh my god I digress <laughs> Did you uh, did you ever feel did you ever feel like when you read David Foster Wallace like uh, I'll sometimes just be like Jesus Christ like the size of this guy's brain it just, yes like, always it's overwhelming always like always. in a good way overwhelming but also just like overwhelming well you know? yes I, I I still think about that and I think about how lonely that must be yeah you know because I don't I don't I don't I just think that that's just such a singular type of brain you know that even the most brilliant contemporaries you know there's you know like our our you know prize winning people are here and then he's just like way yeah 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 yeah. well and he's also doing a lot of things like you say when you talk about him giving you uh, permission you know like i feel like uh he tried almost everything or do you know what i'm saying like it's like it's all in there it's like this great kind of grab bag but it's all sort of stitched together somehow yeah yeah um okay so you you publish your first story collection and uh over the moon obviously i i i giggled like a schoolgirl. girl yeah. <laughs> did you go out celebrate like give us give us that moment that's actually a moment i should ask about more often when you when did where 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 were you i was when you got my, the yes i was on my couch at home and my agent called and i got a good chunk of money for that book too and I, like I just I laughed I, I I like nervously I think but like it was just so fun because it was so unexpected and it was so funny to me right um, and I I think I might have still had like spaghetti at home for dinner that particular night but and a quart of vodka <laughs> no. it was a very simple meal <laughs> I can't remember like I got, I I mean there was celebration for sure but yeah. not that like immediate day or whatever i called everybody i knew of course yeah 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 and then um the book comes out and was there any kind of like anti-climax to that not on the first book on the second book definitely but on the first book not really i mean they it was really who was um, the publisher on the first little brown oh wow okay yeah and it you know i mean they published wallace you know they published rick moody um salinger yeah crazy people right um and they were they they really uh put effort into promoting that book and um so it was you know for short story collection it was just everything you would hope for really and tell um, people the name of it when the messenger's hot right okay so did um, they sent you on a tour the whole thing i did tour a little bit yeah it was uh, you know maybe like 10 10 cities i'm thinking now 
But still, for a story collection, that's almost unheard of. Yeah, yeah, it it, it is. And it might not happen at this point. I don't know. But, um, yeah, and then the second book was, like, did not get that same kind of attention for various kinds of reasons. Also with Little Brown? With Little Brown, yeah. And just what, editors? It got good reviews. The the press that it got was good. The reviews were good. Um, The publicist kind of... uh, Fucked it up. I'm sorry. Did I say that? She's a nice person. She, yeah, she. It, it, it. That was kind of what it came down to. It just didn't get promoted. Yeah. How much? Okay. That that brings up interesting questions because because it's like an, it's an eternal question with me. How much of a book's uh, success has to do with like uh, being artfully promoted? Let's say, just assuming that the book is of high quality. Like when I think of like uh, to use like a recent example. Um, the art of fielding. Mm-hmm. Did you read that uh, Vanity Fair article by any chance about like the, the acquisition of that book? I might have read part of it. Yeah. It was like really fascinating because yeah. you know, it just sort of it tried to at least um, you know take an X ray of like contemporary publishing and figure out like you know how does this work and how does a book actually get that kind of ride, which this book obviously got. And like you know, there's a part of me that's like, okay, well, the book was actually, uh, you know, uh, really high quality. He mm-hmm. spent a long time mm-hmm. on it. He's a mm-hmm. talented guy. You sort of take that for granted. Right. Um, but then like the gears of the machine clicked into place for it too, you know? Yeah. I, 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 this is something I continue like on the fourth book now, I still kind of wonder. What you know? is it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I do think that there are decisions that are made like that, that a book like that is a good bet. You know that that all, the the head people. I mean, these are my imaginations of what goes on. These I really have no idea. But like, yeah. I imagine that like they have meetings and they're you know this this is a good bet to make some money. It's almost um, like they. It's almost like they just decided. They're just like we're going to bless this book. Well, see, but this is this is where I veer off because I always think, well, couldn't you make that decision about any good book? That's what I'm saying. Is yeah. that like I almost wonder? I almost wonder because like, there's so many. I, I fall into the camp that there are actually lots of good writers and lots of good books. Yeah, sure. And maybe a small number of like truly great. Right. I, I can live with that. But there are a lot of really good writers. Right. Um, you know, and, and good books out there that are deserving of a much wider Agreed. audience. And you wonder if, you know, the powers that be in publishing with, and I think they have limited resources. They can't do this sure. for every book. Sure. But they decide every season or yeah. every, you know, every... And that's the thing that I sort of wonder about is, like, why, why if, if you're sort of like, is it really that that book stands out to you among all these other really great books? Or is it just like, okay, we have to make a decision? Like, I, I just have no idea. Or did we just pay so much for it at auction that we have to justify our <laughs> Well, I'm sure there's part... I'm sure that's part of it. Yeah. You want to make your money back. Yeah. So... Um, okay, but I want to make sure we get to um, transitioning from writing story collections because you wrote three. Three collections, yes. Three collections yes. published, yes. well-reviewed. Yes. Uh, enjoyable experiences all. All, uh, yes. <laughs> and then uh, you had to have been thinking along the way, uh, or, or maybe you didn't, uh, but when you were publishing uh, the second and then the third story collection, yeah. in the back of your mind were you thinking, I have to try a novel? Was there is there some part of you... Um, you know, like the internal competitive part that was like, okay, I can do the story collection, <laughs> but I have to, you know, write a, a, a big, long story and well, get it right. you know, it wasn't that I didn't want to do it. There, I certainly have a desire, had a desire to do it. Um, you know, it was a bit in competition with my desire to just do whatever I felt like doing at any given moment. Um, because I got the messages from the marketplace that, you know, novels sell better and, um, you know, that was, that was present in my consciousness. Um, and I, and I made, I made a couple of more stabs at, you know, uh, sort of trying to do a novel along the way. And maybe sometime after the first or second book came out and I, you know, maybe wrote a hundred pages that I wasn't happy with. And, um, and then my, my thing was always like, I don't want to spend all this. It's still even writing the novel, it's, you know, it's just like, I don't want to spend like a bunch of time working. I mean, I know this is what novelists do, but I didn't want to spend a bunch of time working on something that didn't end up working because it would be just a lot more time invested. Sure, yeah. And uh, time's a wasting. So I, so I just put those aside, and then I finally came back around to place. Well, you know, I'm good at this, and I'll just keep trying to do this. And then if it happens, it happens. And then, um, and then it really, it really did ha- kind of just happen. You know, what, very, the, whole, the story the novel, just came together. The novel, 
the, the novel that is coming out that actually works. <laughs> so, I mean, meaning what? You wrote it extremely quickly? I wrote, well, I wrote it quickly, but I also, like, I knew as I was writing it that I was, it was this worth is working. the time that it was going to take. Yeah, but I think that's the key, though. I mean, it's for anybody who gets to the point where they're publishing their work. Like, you do have to have a pretty... I don't know any writer who's in that situation who doesn't have a, at least a decent intuitive understanding of when their own work is working. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that, yeah. let me put it to you this way. I'd be, it would be very interesting to talk to somebody who had no idea but yet kept handing stuff to, like, their agent, and they were like, this is brilliant. You know what I'm saying? You have to know when it's working. I think so. It would be weird if you didn't. I, I think so. Yeah. I think so. It, it, very occasionally I'll write something that I'm like, eh, I'm not sure about this. Or, like, I, I'd written a story about my mom at one point that I thought, I just thought was, like, my mom, after she died, so that, was, so that was, like, so depressing. Who would ever want to read this? And someone... Thankfully, like I said this to a person who read it and said, "This is the best story you've ever read." So I worked on it more, and and that is a story that I get a lot of feedback on. And so you know, but usually I have a better sense because I would have probably trashed that story. But it's also it's also I think you know that sense is is you know just good gut level instinct and ability to assess one's own work um, uh, quickly. But I think it's also a function of just sitting down every day because you are revisiting what you've written. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's, I think what we're talking about is something that like for me can happen on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Like I can finish a day's work and be like, that was a great day. Yeah. And then wake up the next morning and be like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) (laughs) But then fix it or trash it or whatever. And so eventually you get to the point where I think you're able to see the forest for the trees. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And Uh, sometimes I just like, I had a story that I've been working on, like that I, sort of liked what I had was just like, this doesn't add up to anything. And then I, I, like, I put it aside for months and months and went back to it. And I just, it, I made some simple changes that actually like made it clear what the story is actually about. In the just end. needed time. Yeah. just needed time. So. so when you work on a short story, how long does it typically take you for, for you to do a draft? I mean, does it, Oh, you know, it could be anywhere from like, like a, a, a couple of weeks for a, a first draft, and then the revision takes it could take a few months. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes it's super quick. I mean, sometimes I just like something's really good comes right out. But those are those are the you know the, few and far between moments that you hope for. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to people who do short stories, and it's like I want to say it was Ben Laurie. He like writes mm-hmm. he writes first drafts in one sitting, but then like takes like three years to revise <laughs> george saunders i've heard say like takes him like some tits take like six months or a year to write a short story sometimes like jesus well a- i guess that explains why they're so good <laughs> yeah. like, maybe mine would be better if i spent more time yeah, i should actually revise these things <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh man okay so and then in terms of like the day-to-day work was there a big difference that you noticed in between writing a novel and writing a short story collection i mean did, did you sense anything different about it well the, the sort of it did become different at a certain point like once i had a bunch of pages because i actually thought i was writing a short story like i sat down to write a short story i had a couple of characters they sort of immediately became a family. I thought there were actually many separate short stories, and then they immediately became a family. And then I just was, like, not... Like, the pace was a little slower, you know? And, like, the... I was like, well, maybe it's just going to be a longer short story. And then it was 30 pages, and then it was 60 pages, and then it was sort of, like, between 60 and 90 pages. And I was like, well, now I'm kind of screwed because I have a short story that is way too long that nobody's ever going to buy, or I have to, like, commit. You to go know? across that line. <laughs> and I had some people read it and everybody liked it. And, and I was like, all right, I'm just going to push on because I really, I was just wasn't ready to let them go. I was, ha- I had so much fun with them. Yeah. So that's that, a good sign. Yeah. And then also that was the point at which I was like, okay, well, if I'm writing a novel, there's other considerations here and I have to start to think about structure a bit. And, um, did you don't outline or anything? Did you, or did you at no, that point? No. Day no. by day, intuitive, like feeling your way through. Yeah. 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 And then what about at the end? Like I find right like wrapping up a novel, that's where it really starts to slow down. Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, totally. The, be- the beginning of a novel, like the first yeah. third of a novel is glorious and then yeah. like with each subsequent step yeah. it's just like, okay, now I've got to see how this whole thing I sort of fits help, together. I had some help and I have to say my editor, you know, we we submitted it uh in the hopes that I was like, okay, I think this is good. 
this is the kind of book that I need a great editor on because I wanted to kind of develop it just a little more and and I just needed that guidance and um, I got super lucky and who's your editor? Cal Morgan at Harper Perennial. Oh yeah, just like knocked it out of like. 22 single spaced pages of notes. Oh, I wrote geez. a lecture on it for school. Like it, cause and like, and also that didn't even include like the margin notes, you know, on every page. And I, his notes were so good that I basically did everything he hold, told me to mm-hmm. just about everything. He said, you don't have to, but I did. Cause yeah. it's right on. Well, no, it's like the, the good notes are always like uh, really easy to like, you're automatically like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, and I know how to do that because it's right there basically. Right. You know? Um, and, and you know, and it was him, and also my agent a little bit, who sort of made, made, sort of made me like like the sort of the short storiness of it that I was kind of holding on to um, was like, oh, maybe you need some more scenes or some more interaction <laughs> between these characters, or you know, um, you know, uh, I mean, I don't want to give away the story, but like the like a like what Cal referred to as a game changer, um, which would sort of facilitate the. The, the you know sort of be a climax for those this family and uh he was right he was right so that helped the i mean that helped me find the end because i don't know if i really i don't know what the end would have been it would it's been just kind of like, just, like right done right okay bye right. <laughs> like, final words of the book okay bye <laughs> exactly <laughs> immortal yeah um so yeah so that that's interesting like you sold the book um but you would say uh that the editorial process like played a very significant role really in the finished product. In this product. case, yes, it really did. That's nice to hear. Like it, so, because too too many times I talk I to writers who are like, "Yeah, nothing much happened." I and wish I've I would have heard that. I've heard that many times, and I, you know, you take a risk, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, we had a conversation on the phone before I signed the papers, and I, I had, you know, he made some suggestions to me, and I was like, "Okay," and um, it's you take a chance when you sign with someone, but I. And I had heard those stories too, but I really, I was, I feel like dream, dream scenario. That's great. Yeah. That's great. I think, I think writers want to be edited, you know, like who doesn't want like a really good ones should. Yeah. Right? Like a good, like yeah. careful. I just want my read. book to be better. Yeah. You know? I want my book to, to be the best book that it can be, that I can, that I can put out. Right. And you feel like that with this novel. Yeah. Like you don't feel like you left anything on the field to use a sports analogy. Like. I don't you gave think it your I, all. I don't think I do. I don't think I do. That's a good feeling, though. Yeah. You took it You took it through its paces. Yeah. Like there, that would be kind of miserable to look back and be like, well, yeah. that's 75% of what I could have done. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy, everybody. <laughs> no, in fact, I've sort of had a little fantasy about a sequel, and I don't think it's that type of book. So like, think about this family. Well, now that they've had these, like each of them have had their sort of like arc. Yeah. Like, what's, their, what's the future for these people? And I just... It's 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 neither good nor bad, but it just I just sort of I don't really want to know. Right, it's done. Yeah, it's done. So what about a movie version? Like yeah, what, well, that we're get Scarlett Johansson and the Culkins on the phone. They, <laughs> they owe you. There's it's payback there's, time. There's a slight something in the works um, that we're you know like we're we sort of have a, a little trying to get something going. Yeah. Yeah. So like knock on wood. Knock on wood. We'll light. see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a little superstition. Yeah. But it's the kind of thing where I might be able to be involved in the screenwriting and stuff. So oh. yeah. So I was going to say, is that something you would be interested I in? I would very much. It was, actually, that was like yet another thing that I thought, oh, I worked on a television series okay. for the year. Um, like as a staff writer type thing? No, or? I was an assistant uh-huh. to one a, like writer, actor, producer. Right. Um, and he's actually the person who's like wants to try to make the, uh, adapt the Oh, can we say his or her his name? His name is Donald Lardner Ward. Okay. Um, old friend and great writer, written for a lot of like HBO shows, kind of stuff. And, but, and like, are they are they looking? Or may I ask if he's looking at it as a possible television property or is it a, a film? Mostly film. Mostly, Mostly film. film. So he wants to like direct himself. Um, we sort of did like a mini option on it. Um, were you thinking about this when you were writing the book? No. Mm-hmm. No. Never crossed your mind. No. No. Not okay. really. Because I think a lot of writers do that these days. Well, even like I, even like quote unquote you know literary writers, I think are sitting down because I mean, and, and how could you not think about it at least sure. a little bit? Because there, there's a possibility that you could, if it gets made into a movie, right. you're going to sell more copies of your book. Well, that's the right? thing. That's the thing. And yeah, no, I I didn't really think of it that way. Although I did sort of like once it was done, I sort of started thinking about like 
like maybe somebody else could do it, but I just like it's it, a lot of what goes on with the characters is so internal. Sure. That I mean, there are scenes now, <laughs> thanks to my editor. <laughs> but, um, there's scene dialogue. Things. There's those actual scene, dialogue. Those scene <laughs> things come in really handy in storytelling. <laughs> But uh, I wouldn't, you know, I mean, they made a play out of my first book, a playwright named Laura Eason, and I couldn't have ever envisioned something like that. And she was both very true to the material and also, like, really created something kind of magical out of it, you know? It was so totally fresh from what I did. Right. Um, but I... It's an adaptation. Yeah. It it's needs, an adaptation. It needs it's a different adaptive. art form, yeah. Right, right, right. So um, you said earlier that you're moving back to New York. Yeah. After being, you were in Austin. We're in Austin. I know now, that. Yeah. Okay, so how, give me like some. Like, how did this happen? How did my you husband? Get... So we moved to Austin from Chicago for my husband to go to graduate school. Yeah, when we first like cyber met, you yeah. were in Chicago. Yeah, that's right. And then you went to Austin so he could go to grad. Three years school. ago, yeah. And um, how was Austin? Good. Um, I don't want to say anything bad about Austin because it's been very, very nice to me. Yeah. It doesn't really feel like my home of a lifetime right i mean i was madly in love with chicago is kind of the main thing it's a great town <sighs> my sister lives there so i just i just can't even like i could just gush for hours and hours about how much i love chicago and good people good people yeah. like good friends my family was close his good family food. was close good yeah. food right you know art everything yeah. it's great um so but we went to austin uh for ben to get his mfa in sculpture and now he's done and he wants to, you know, explore the art world in New York. Sure. So I don't see it as a forever move necessarily. But it's good for you too as a writer. I think it's good, but it's kind of good timing. Like the book is coming out like right when we're moving. Right. So that's pretty good. I got some stuff. Well, in Brooklyn, so. I mean, Brooklyn is the, the epi- hub. It's the hub of American <laughs> publishing. I just hope they let me in. <laughs> right. <laughs> it does feel a little closed off, you know. But I'm you could—I'm sure you can break—you can break that door down. I hope so. You got some New York native. You know, you got something, you got an advantage. I'm back! I'm back, people! <laughs> it's like, you know, you're going to be like waving to familiar faces in the street. And <laughs> by the way, when you go back after all this time, I guess that could happen. Like, it's such a big town. Like, can you run into people that you used oh, to? Oh, yeah. That'll I, happen. It, it was always a funny thing. Like, you would run, you know, in your neighborhood or whatever. I would always run into people on the street pretty much every day. I used to run into my mother on the street. <laughs> I mean, in Manhattan, you would never think. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Um, but... Yeah, and then if I had people from out of town, though, that we'd be, like walk up Columbus Avenue or whatever, and I'd say, "Hey," and stop to talk to somebody, you know, like they were always shocked that this would take place in Manhattan because there's so many people. But if you think about the geography of it, it's very small. Yeah, it's, it's not it's compact. Not a, right. So sure, of course you're gonna run to people. So uh, what about going forward? I mean, like how far into your future do you look when you are plotting your literary <laughs> fortunes? Like, are you working on something else already? Do you want... I'm thinking about it. Do you have I'm a, thinking about it. Do you have a vision of, like, at the end of it all, you're, you're 100 years old, you look back, how many books have you published? <laughs> like, do you have... Are you somebody who sits there and plots this out, or is it literally no. just one day at a time? No. That's it. Yeah, well, I do... I go into the future on other things. I think the things that I imagine in the future are just, like... Where are we going to park the car in New York? And where is the dog going to walk in New York? And, like, not things, like, not that much about, like... Ambition and... Yeah, no. I mean, it's not that I have... I'm not without ambition. Right. But at this point, I sort of feel like, okay, I have momentum. I like to write. I'll keep writing. I have another kind of collection that'll happen at some point. Um, I have a... I, I have 50 pages of another novel. A little stuck with it. It might or might not move forward. Right. You know, but I've, I've sort of gotten like I've sort of realized about my process over the years that like suddenly I sort of like I, I just seem to have books kind of I was like, oh, I have another collection. Oh, I'm writing a novel. Like, and you're are you writing every day when you when you're lately. working? Not lately. But no. when you're in a, like a work mode, is that yes, how, that's how you day. go? Yeah. Yeah. Every like day. I genuinely like I want to get up in the morning and like finish whatever, like get some more pages down. You take drinking a lot of caffeine. Is that part in of your morning, yeah. is that part of your yeah, mixture? Definitely. definitely. <laughs> Are you on drugs? No, no drugs. <laughs> Caffeine really is great though. I mean, you know. I tried to go off it for a year or two and I was depressed. Yeah. Was, I was, was like, I, I was uninteresting. I had nothing to not, say. Uh, totally uninteresting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was just like, you know what? It's not worth it. Like, no, and like, I look, listen, you don't have to sit there and like drink like 40 shots of espresso every day. I'm no. just saying that like it is a pleasant a jolt. A few cups the- of good coffee in the morning. It's a ritual. I tried to have tea 
not the same. Not the same as the... Uh, not the same. As the espresso. No. That's true. Like no. the jolt that you get from like good... I like espresso. Espresso's get, good. We have, like one of those, we have one of those makers that has you know, the little pods that you put in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I can go through a lot of those pods. <laughs> really? Yeah. I stop after the morning and... Yeah. You know. You're able to do that. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it's been fun talking with you. Great after all to talk the, to you, after Brad. all this time to finally meet, I uh, you know, it's a pleasure and I congratulate you on uh, Thank you. the successful novel and its launch and I wish you all the best with future work. Thanks for having me. All right, you guys, there you go. That's Elizabeth Crane. Her book is called We Only Know So Much, her debut novel. Go get your copy. It is available right now from Harper Perennial. If you want to find Elizabeth on the web, she's at elizabethcrane.com. You can follow her on the Twitter at Elizabeth underscore Crane, and you can track her down on the Facebook as well. This show has a website. It's otherpeoplepod.com. It has a Twitter feed at Other People Pod. I'm on uh, the Twitter at Brad Listy. The show has a Facebook page. And if you want to email me, the address is letters at otherpeoplepod.com. Thank you to Kill Rockstars for all the great music. Be sure to check out killrockstars.com. And thanks once again to the UCLA Extension Writers Program, today's sponsor. If you're working on a book, whether it's a novel or a collection of stories, or you're writing a screenplay of some sort, and you want some instruction, some tutelage, some structure, uh, some assistance, some com- uh, camaraderie, uh, go sign up for a class. You can attend right here in Los Angeles in person or remotely via the internet. Either way works, and there's no time like right now to get it started. For more information, call 310-825-9415. That's 310-825-9415. Or you can visit them on the web at uclaextension.edu slash writers or check them out on Facebook and the Twitter. Uh, okay, so it sounds like the uh, the screaming children uh, have gone away. The screaming of the children has subsided. Let's listen to that. The screaming children have left the swimming pool. Uh, the chlorinated waters have returned to a state of placid calm, and I am now in the process of reestablishing a loving relationship with my emotional core. Can you feel it? Okay, please remember that the last book Albert Einstein read before dying was Worlds in Collision by Emanuel Velikovsky. And uh, that Allen Ginsberg kept his home phone number listed in the, Manha- in the Manhattan telephone directory. Thank you for listening, you guys. I appreciate it. I will be back again soon with another program, another dialogue, another back and forth, another what have you. How should I end this? I don't really know how to end this one. I'm sort of at a loss. I'm sort of just sitting here talking into the microphone. Uh, maybe I should slap myself. Why don't I do that? Here we go. Ow. Bye-bye.